Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people, loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. If you're just with us for the first time today, or if you've been with us for the last three weeks and your memory is as good as mine, we're on a series called Foundation. And in this time, as a result of the crisis in our our nation, uh, prior to um, the death of George Floyd, there was a question of, what do we do in worship? What is the church supposed to do in worship? Because there's been the question all the way to the top echelon of our government. What does worship in church look like? Is is singing going to be safe? And so we wanted to step into this conversation and talk about the foundation of the church, the foundation of humanity in our connection with God through this series called Foundation because the foundation itself and how we're to connect and relate to God has already been poured well before the debate happened in 2020. That foundation was poured at the beginning of creation. And God addressed it again at the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2 forward. Our first week we talked about prayer and how prayer actually is one of our values. We firmly believe in the power of prayer, the conversation that is so needed and necessary for our life and our connection with our Creator. But power precedes prayer. And last week we talked about praise and worship and that power or praise also precedes power. As a result of praise and and prayer, power of the Holy Spirit happens in your life. But also worship isn't is more than what you think it is. It's more than the 10 to 15 to 20 minutes of singing songs on a Sunday morning. Worship is you. You are an instrument of worship to the Lord. It's your life, your whole life, not a section of your life, not an hour and a half of your life. It is all your life, your family life, your work life, your spending life, your, your saving life, your neighbor life your marriage life, your single life, all life. That is worship. This week, we're going to step into this conversation about Scripture and discipleship. You heard it from Kaylee and Zach this morning, and you heard it the last two weeks. They've read from Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, and these are pivotal texts about the early church and the current church today in 2020. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is that? What's the apostles' teaching? Does that make any sense? Paul says this. He says, But fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What is that? With Christ Jesus himself. As the cornerstone, we're going to get there today. But I need to ask, not only myself, but I need to ask 
us, you, the church, you listening online, some very important questions, key questions. What is your source? What is your source for battling the thoughts and voices in your mind that deceive you, that keep you from being who you're designed to be? To where do you turn to inform yourself of where you are to stand in times and moments of injustice and societal tension? What educates you on how you are to treat all humanity, regardless of ethnicity, education, creed, lifestyle, ability, or socioeconomic status or political party? Where do you find strength for situations more difficult than you can ever imagine? And I know many of you have lived in those situations that have been more difficult than you've ever imagined. What is your source of wisdom to navigate life, whether the mundane moments or the uncertain moments? What prevents you from being tossed by every wave that the world whips at you? What teaches you how to discern what is true and right from what is fake and false? and a facade. What teaches you the difference between falsehoods, lies, accusations and allegations, and the truth? And in the same vein, what teaches you what is right, but also what teaches you and tells you what is right isn't always what is godly and righteous? What is your source? What keeps your feet grounded and stable in the rushing currents of culture and how quickly culture changes? What directs you how to live the single life in all its fullness and greatness? Because the single life is full and great. But also, what teaches you how to live the holy and pure life, whether you are single in a relationship, or you're married? What instructs you and advises you how to relate to your spouse and your kids? How to parent your kids in those moments where you can take them and become teachable moments to teach them how to be not only holy, but whole and complete? What reveals your heart? What convicts you to the depth of your spirit? What speaks peace and encouragement into you? What is your source? What assures you that though you may be physically alone, you are never alone? What do you wield? What do you deploy in moments of temptation? When sin is out to seek, destroy, and conquer you and your life. What do you wield? What's your source? What informs you? What informs your finances? Your spending? Your saving? Your investing? Your generosity? Your giving? To what do you turn to be enlightened about who God is? Who He's not? And how God relates to His creation and humanity? 
So where do you run to find the voice of God, to learn the voice of God, to discern the voice of God? From all other voices, including yourself. And from whom or what do you understand your identity as a person, as a human being? And what instructs you how to live out the design? This morning, I want to tell you that many of you might answer the question by Scripture. But we have to ask ourselves, does it really? Jesus himself, at the very last moments of his life, as he, before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Literally, peoples. Go and make disciples of all peoples. This isn't a mere statement for missions, folks. This is a statement that he minces no words. This is the minimum requirement as a disciple, a learner, follower of Jesus. To make others, to bring others to Christ, to teach them in the way of Jesus Christ. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. If you are not being discipled in the Word of God, then something else and someone else is discipling you. And more often than not, it's culture. Culture does not have any religious neutrality. It is always biased. It will always be biased. Politics will always be biased. Media will always be biased. People will always be biased. God is apolitical and pro-humanity. And Jesus wants us to walk in his ways. But how much do we invest ourselves into his word? The apostles dedicated themselves to the teaching. The church dedicated themselves to the apostles' teaching. It was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. He's the literal cornerstone. If you remove him from it all, it falls apart. I ask you today, are you investing in your heart, in your mind, your soul, and your strength in the Word of God that is able to teach you and inform you in all aspects of life? It is the source at the ready, able to teach you, equip you, help you, rebuke you, correct you in all aspects of life. It is capable to judge the intent and motives of your heart and your mind. All actions. It has the power to possess and transform your mind and shift the way you think and change your perspective. In fact, this is the source at the ready that is able to make even the uneducated and unlearned wise and make the educated and the elite the fools in the room. It can reveal the truth to the unrepending underpinnings of the cosmos and reveal all natural laws and the principles therein. Folks, this is the source at the ready that can illuminate the most dark 
mind, and heart, and heal the most wounded of individuals. It illuminates the step at your feet and gives you light at the end of your road that you know that there's hope. Folks, it is the source of our understanding of who God is, who He is not, and who we are, and who we're designed to be. From Genesis to Revelation, cover to cover, it is the living word that penetrates deep into your spirit, into your soul, and can have profound impact on your family and your community. So, what is your source? I have tried to fight all week what I'm about to do. And so, uh, and it's not left me. So, rather than continue on preaching a sermon, I'm going to let you enter in a conversation that typically happens on week three during our eight-week Bible study, or eight-week, 52-week Bible study. Thank you, Jay. That that will never go away, bro. Um, And... Like I said, I, I want to preempt this. This is something that I've tried to push away in trying to write this sermon today. And it just continued to come back, come back, come back. So I want you to enter in this brief conversation that I have with people who are, whether they're believers or not, in the eight-week Bible study. And we talk about the validity and credibility of the New Testament, particularly the Word of God itself, but the New Testament itself. Because I've been often asked, whether it's in an eight-week Bible study or at the end of service or just randomly, How do I know that this is really the Word of God? How do I know that this, who these people are and what they're talking about is right and true? Who are these people? So we're going to jump in and we're going to dive into the deep end. And I'm going to go very fast. So I'm going to ask that you keep up with me. I ask that you pull out your Bibles. Kids, do you have your Bibles? Did you bring your Bibles? Yes. Yes. Thank you. People, did you bring your Bibles? On your phones, yes. So I'm going to ask that you open up. And honestly, you can open up to the index of your Bible. Because that's probably where we're going to stay. But I'm going to reference a lot of scriptures. And we're just going to go about it. And hopefully you're able to see. And I'm going to preempt this conversation with, if you want to talk about this further, I would be glad to talk about this further. If you need your binoculars, feel free. Deploy them at the ready. So, the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. You got the book of Acts. You got all these letters written by Paul. You have these general letters. Hebrews, James. Then you have Peter. First, second, third John. Then you have Revelation at the end. We're just going to walk through these authors. I want to tell you that my stance is a fairly traditional stance. But as we walk through this, I hope that you understand that these men who wrote the New Testament have credibility, and this is why. We need to focus not only on the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ, but we're going to focus on the resurrection. Did they see him resurrected? And did they see him ascended? The first book 
that was probably written in the New Testament was probably around 49 to 51 A.D., which is Galatians, written by Paul. Jesus himself was crucified at 28, 29 A.D. Why do we know this? Because he was born before zero. King Herod died in 4 BCE, Matthew chapter 2. So we know that Jesus was in the womb of Mary probably around 6 BCE, was born 5 BCE, and alive at 4 BCE. Therefore, he did not die at 33 AD. So, the last book of the New Testament, Revelation, written by John. We'll get to him. But this was probably around 80 to 90 AD. So if you look at 49, we'll go 90, you're looking at a difference of 20 to 60 years between Jesus' death, crucifixion, his resurrection, ascension, to the last book of the New Testament before the turn of the century. You talk about the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and all those other Gospels that have been on earth, more than likely those have been dated around 200 to 300 A.D., well removed from this time period. There's not a lot of time for legend and myth to occur. So let's jump in to Jesus himself. Because why? Jesus is the chief cornerstone. You remove the chief cornerstone, it all falls apart. The front end of the, of the New Testament is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Of those four, Matthew was a disciple of Jesus Christ. John was a disciple of Jesus Christ. They literally sat with, ate with, talked with, slept next to, listened, watched, performed miracles along with Jesus, feeding of the 5,000. Don't forget Peter, that hanging Chad towards the back end of the New Testament. Hanging Chad, yes, I went there. Peter himself was a disciple of Jesus Christ. Of those three, Matthew scattered, Peter scattered, but you know who didn't? John. You know what he saw? John literally was at the foot of the cross and watched Jesus' crucifixion and death. Matthew and Peter scattered. Peter somewhat followed at a distance, but when it came down to the brass tacks, Peter was gone. Yet, Matthew, John, and Peter saw Jesus resurrected. Physically resurrected, not once, not twice, but several times. And saw Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father ten days before Pentecost. The validity of these three men and credibility goes through the roof. And quite frankly, none of these guys are whitewashed in the Gospels. Peter puts his foot in his mouth more times than we can count. John wants to destroy people. Matthew was a tax collector, which is really bad if you're a Jewish individual, which he was. He was in bed with Rome. None of their lives were whitewashed at all. Matthew wrote the book of Matthew. John wrote the book of John. Good job. 
Congratulations, you guessed it. But he also wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. No, there's not four, just three. And he wrote the book of Revelation, most of which happened around 80 to 90 A.D. He was looking back on his life and recalling a lot of things. He was thinking through all the people that lost their life. Matthew, Peter. So, of the New Testament so far, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight books of the New Testament we've talked about so far that are written by individuals that physically saw Jesus Christ in his resurrected form and watched him ascend to the right hand of the Father and experience Pentecost with the Holy Spirit coming down on them. With me so far. Excellent. There's this guy by the name of Paul who actually is also called Saul. We find him in Acts chapter 9. That's his story. Saul himself was a Christian killer. His story is horrid and horrible. Yet we have new life. In Acts chapter 9, he doesn't see Jesus Christ ascend. He doesn't see Jesus Christ resurrected. But what he sees Jesus Christ as, as Jesus' glorified state. When he goes to the right hand of the Father, Jesus becomes glorified in all himself. And he appears to Paul on the road to Damascus. But if that isn't enough, Paul actually knows Matthew... John, Peter, that's three. How many disciples were there? Twelve, minus one Judas, because he offed himself, which brings it to eleven. But he added one more, Matthias, in Acts chapter 2. So he knows the twelve disciples, and in fact, at that point, they're called the apostles. The apostles' teaching. Those men who are with Jesus. He knows all of these gentlemen, who knew Jesus, or who were following Jesus while Jesus was alive. And all these Jesus that actually, all these people who saw Jesus resurrected, and the ascension, that were with Jesus from the beginning. Paul knew all of them, connected with them. You can find that in the story of the book of Acts, but also throughout all his letters he mentions, and does a lot of things, mentions offhand, these people. Paul himself wrote Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Philemon, Titus. You know what? He basically wrote the rest of the New Testament. But that's not it. That's not all. Shame wow. That's not all. There's still these two Gospels that are sitting over here. This Mark Gospel and this Luke Gospel, who are these guys? Well, Mark, if you look in Mark chapter 14, I believe, verse 51 and 52, there's this appearance of this naked dude right in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus gets arrested and all the disciples scatter. And then there's this mention of this naked dude who just kind of runs off, leaving his clothes behind. He was in haste. You know who that naked dude was? Mark. Mark, who's also named John Mark. And we find John Mark in the book of Acts. We find him who actually, he hangs out with Barnabas, his cousin. 
Barnabas. There you go. Colossians 4.10 tells us these two guys are related. They're actually cousins, kind of like Jesus and John the Baptist. And in fact, Peter was at John Mark's house, his mom's house, after Peter was released from prison, Acts chapter 12. And in fact, John Mark went on a missionary journey with Saul, Acts chapter 12 and 13. John Mark hung out with Paul, and actually this other guy, Titus, Yep, there's a book called Titus, not written by Titus, but written by Paul. Titus knew Barnabas. Titus knew Mark. Paul, Barnabas, and, 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 and Matt and Mark had some disagreements at one point. And so Barnabas and Mark went on their own journey, while Paul took this other guy by the name of Silas. But you know what? Silas, where's Silas from? Silas is from the Jerusalem church who knew John, who knew Peter, who knew Matthew, who knew all the other apostles. The world's shrinking, isn't it? The New Testament world shrinks when you start to follow the people. Well, Luke, who's this guy? Well, he's also the writer of the book of Acts. I know it's getting a lot of confusion right up here, and it's just looking like a lot of marks. I hope you're following with me. But Luke is a doctor who actually wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Acts is part two of the book of Luke. If you read them back to back, you will find that he's writing to this guy named Theophilus. But Luke actually is not only a doctor, but he's a church planner slash missionary who goes on a missionary journey with Paul. You can find that he mentions himself in the word we. Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 21. He writes as if He's there because he is. He's doing all these things, and guess what? Who does he know? Well, he knows Paul. He knows Barnabas. He knows John Mark. He knows Titus. He knows Timothy. He knows Silas. He knows all these people. He not only knows them, he's been with them. He hangs out with them. He talks with them. So, of the New Testament so far, we have a majority of the people who have seen Jesus crucified, dead, or buried, resurrected, ascended, and many who have experienced Pentecost. But there's still more. Are you with me? We're going to be wrapping it up very shortly. But there are some other books of the New Testament. Not only Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Not only the book of Acts. Not only of all the letters from Paul. But there's some of those other letters that are kind of hanging out there. Let's start with James. Because it's a very necessary book. The book of James. This can only be one of three people. It could be James, son of Alphaeus, one of the apostles, one of the disciples, one of those that was with Jesus prior to his death and resurrection who did a lot of miracles along with the rest of the disciples. It could be James the brother of John. However, we know that James, the brother of John, was beheaded. Acts chapter 12. Front end. Beheaded by Herod Agrippa. That was around 40, 44 AD. Really short on. But there's another James. Who is it? I'm glad you asked. Because in the Gospel of Mark, you will find that Mark discloses that Jesus has brothers and sisters. 
There's Joseph. Well, there's James, there's Joseph, there's Judas, and Simon. And one of those is James. All four of them, along with his his sisters, did not believe in Jesus Christ. Did not believe who he says he was until the resurrection. Why? They saw him resurrected. They actually thought he was out out of his mind. Mark chapter 3. Thought he was out of his mind during his ministry. But it was the resurrection that changed everything for them. And particularly for James. Why? 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You read verse 1 through 8. You will find that Jesus himself appeared to his brother. This is his bro. Bro James of Jesus. And if you read that book and compare it to the Sermon on the Mount, you will find that James, though he didn't believe in his brother before the resurrection, actually was really listening to his brother before the resurrection. This is James, who was a central figure to the early church, along with Peter. They were co-leaders. They were the pivotal decision makers in the early church. Acts or Galatians chapter 1 and 2. And you will find it in, in Acts as well. This is the James that wrote the book of James. He's the brother of Jesus. But still there's two other books that we have not mentioned. Hebrews and Jude. Let's start with Jude. Because Jude is also known as Judas. It's definitely not Judas Iscariot because he offed himself. Could it be that this is Judas, a brother of James, because it mentions in Jude that he is a brother of James. But what James could that be? Could that be James, the brother of Jesus? Could that be James, the brother of John? Could that be James, the, bro- the son of Alphaeus? Well, it's definitely not James, the brother of John. As you read the scriptures, you will find that it probably narrows down to two people. Either James, son of Alphaeus, or James, the brother of Jesus. And I mentioned in Mark chapter 6, there are four bros of Jesus. There's Joseph, there's Simon, there's James, and there's this guy by the name of Judas, which Jude is short for. Quite possibly, Jude is this brother of James. When they mention who they're brothers of in the old antiquity, this is the only one that really has significance to the early church. Not, not, not diminishing anything about James, the brother of John, but this is the central figure. More than likely, Jude is the brother of James, who is the brother of Jesus, and Jude, therefore, is the brother of Jesus. The world shrinks. Credibility through the roof. Hebrews Last but not least. We don't necessarily know who wrote Hebrews. There's the debate in in the biblical sphere that this is either Paul, this is either Barnabas, or this is either Apollos. It doesn't look like what Paul has done. I've argued for Paul for many, many years, but my mind is shifting to Barnabas. It doesn't look like Paul. But if it's Barnabas, Barnabas knows Matthew, Mark, 
Luke, John, Peter, and all the others. Barnabas knows Silas. Barnabas knows Timothy. Barnabas knows Titus. Barnabas knows them all. If it's Apollos, Apollos knows Paul. Apollos knows Barnabas. Apollos knows Priscilla and Aquila. He knows a lot of people who knew of Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, ascension. The New Testament has shrunk. So when you pick up your scripture from Matthew all the way to Revelation, you can rest assured that this is one generation and it's not far removed that you can rest assured that many of these people saw and hung out with Jesus time and time and time again. Some of them saw him die. Many of them saw him resurrected. Many of them saw him ascended to the right hand of the Father. Or they knew people who were there. So, I challenge you to do as Jesus said. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because he had its foundation on the rock, the true word of God. These scriptures are God-breathed and inspired by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. I encourage you to dive in. And yes, I've been asked many times, where do I start? Start in one of two places. Start in the book of Mark. It's the shortest of all four Gospels. Mark just kind of goes... Really to the point. Luke and Matthew, kind of like the accordion, they spread it out a little bit. A little bit more detail. Mark right there. Or John. Because John himself physically watched Jesus die and take his last breath. Physically saw Jesus in his resurrected form. Not once, not twice, but many times. John was the one that saw Jesus Christ ascend to the right hand of the Father. John was there at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down on all of them. John witnessed the growth of the church. Start in one of those two places. If you have questions, if you want to talk, Matthew and I are always available. We want to see you grow, not only in knowledge, but grow in grace. Because Jesus... He doesn't want just disciples who listen and who soak it up. Disciples are mere learners and followers. He wants disciples to be doers of what God says. What you hear, what you learn, what you read, He wants you to go and live it out. Be the church in action. Be a follower of Christ in action. So would you please stand? Thank you for giving me your attention for a convoluted story. But I would ask that you just bow your heads for one last moment.
Heavenly Father, we love you. We ask that, honestly, I ask that we be people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who have an insatiable appetite for your word, who find that it is what speaks, it is the source of, for all aspects of life that navigates us through it. Inspired by your Holy Spirit. And Father, may we also be those that James, Jesus' brother, said, don't be merely hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Kind of like you said, Jesus. Help us live it out. I love you. We love you, Father. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ today. Amen. May you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And will you please love your neighbor as yourself? And you may be dismissed and go through these doors. Thank you for listening to the Nas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you. And that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.